Hey everybody, I'm here in the studio with Jeremiah Aviel. And we've been talking lately a lot about farming and what that means to farm and to have a relationship with God. And this is all connecting to the program that we're wanting to host coming up in the spring called Harp and Farm. And so we thought I'd do a podcast just talking about from the scripture, what does farming have to do with the Bible? And so Jeremiah, take it away. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Braden. Um, yeah. So just to give you guys a little bit of a background of who I am. Um, so uh, I was born in the Boston area and then my mom always had this dream of raising her kids in the country. Uh, she grew up in the projects in, in uh, Southie in Boston. And, um, and so when it seemed like that's where our, our life was heading, uh, uh, God really opened up the door for us to, to flee the city more or less, you know, everybody's urbanization is a huge thing, right? If you look at the trends in population, everybody's moving to the city. Right. Um, but I think like over the last couple of years with COVID people have started to realize, Oh, maybe we need to get out of the city. Uh, so my mom was kind of a trendsetter in that. Mm. So this was back in the, in the early um, mid eighties. And, uh, some of our friends had bought a farmhouse in upstate New York, um, middle of nowhere, little town needed a lot of renovation. And so we went out, uh, to help them start to renovate and, um, started planting vegetables and they bought some sheep and some chickens and you would have been how old at this time? Uh, so I was seven, um, not quite eight. At this okay. Point. Yeah. So pretty young childhood memories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I remember, uh, you know, my, my buddy, Josh, um, Josh Winograd, who was the, the oldest of their four kids. Um, he and I would, would try to ride their Ram and, um, and, uh, we would take our little bow saws and go out in the woods and cut down some trees and make forts and, um, and absolutely loved it. Every boy's dream. Oh yeah. It was wonderful. <laughs> Creeks and fields and woods. Um, and, uh, uh, and at that time I wanted to be a veterinarian. And so my mom being a good Jewish mother was like, well, you know, uh, Cornell University in, in Ithaca, New York has the best vet school in the country. So let's just move to Ithaca, you know? So <laughs> we, uh, so this was like about two hours Southwest of where we were with the Winograd family and, um, uh, no plan. My, my mom, dad didn't have a job. Um, and so, so we moved to Ithaca. We lived in a tent for several months. My mom was seven months, uh, pregnant seven to, uh, I guess it would have been six to eight months. So that whole seven month pregnant, uh, stint for my mom living in a tent, living in a tent. <laughs> um, and, uh, and eventually we started, um, renting a small little house again, out, out in the country and creeks and woods and fields. And, um, and it was great. And we started, um, uh, started homesteading, started trying to provide as much food for ourselves as we could. And so, mm. um, uh, lots of gardening, um, chickens, sheep, uh, pony, horse, um, and then, and, uh, fishing all the time. I would, I would try to fish as much as I possibly could. Mm. Um, and so, so that's kind of what, what I grew up in. Um, uh, eventually life took me on, on different journeys, um, with undergrad and missions and traveling and, uh, been around the world and back yeah, a few <laughs> times. Yeah. Um, and, uh, just had amazing experiences that I wouldn't trade for anything and, uh, and really saw how God had led me through all of that. And, um, 
when I got out of the military, I'd finished my, my last military operation in the Middle East um, and really needed some healing, um, was going through some PTSD stuff and uh, so decided to come home for a while. And um, that, that's a common term that's used. Um, break that down a little bit. Like, so you, you've been in dramatic war situations. You come back and it's like, explain that to some of our listeners that may not be able to relate to that. Yeah, definitely. So, so PTSD stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and so when people go through really stressful situations, they end up um, locking these memories within them and mm-hmm. in some way, shape or fashion. And, uh, and it's mostly common most commonly talked about with soldiers and, and military personnel, but, but it can happen for anything. It can happen, um, abuse in, in childhood. It could happen, um, uh, to the loss of a child. I mean, and then you, then you'll get certain triggers, things that are called triggers that will remind you of that situation. All of a sudden your mind goes back to whatever, memory that is and you're living that memory again and again and again for a military person explosion or something you hear a loud sound firework it all of a sudden takes you back to that moment exactly exactly i mean i i have friends one of the common things that um uh, for uh ieds which were improvised explosive devices that um uh that uh al-qaeda and the iraqi army and and isis would use is they would put things on the side of the road Mm. um uh, and it could be something as simple as like a chip bag. Um, uh, and so I still have friends who they're driving down the road. They haven't been in a theater of operations for over a decade and they see like a, a plastic bag on the side of the road and they'll actually like veer into the other lane. Wow. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so, so it can be a very powerful thing. Um, and people experience things differently. Um, for me, one of the biggest things was a sense of purpose. Right. And so when you're in the military, you have a job um, and you have something, you have a goal that you're working towards uh, and you have people who are there supporting you. And uh, and all of a sudden you come back to the civilian world and it's not there anymore. That sense of camaraderie is camaraderie is gone. Um, your your specific job that that you've been trained at and that you're highly skilled at, you, you don't have access to do that anymore. Um, There's uh, no way you can get a job that uses the same skill sets no 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 not too many people are looking for like long-range weapon handlers these days (laughs) you know um and uh and people don't understand you know you you come back and uh and that's the thing is like unless somebody has gone through that same experience you know again whether it's losing a child or a wife or uh being in a bad car accident or um or in the military um uh people people can be sympathetic but but they don't really have that empathy because they don't know exactly what what you've gone through. Right. And just so people, our listeners understand, so Jeremiah was part of the Green Berets, which is comparable to the um, the Navy SEALs, right? Yeah. As far as yep. the level of intensity. Yeah. Uh, so just to give you guys an, an idea of the intensity that Jeremiah was in, that's 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 what he was in. Yeah. It, it was intense. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so when I came home, I started teaching wilderness survival skills for an organization that I, I helped spearhead, um, when I was in high school and, uh, and it was amazing. It was, it was such a time of healing, um, working with preschoolers and, uh, and young adults, uh, preteens and teens. This was straight out of the army experience. Yeah. I think I had, um, I had a couple few months where I was just trying to get my, 
my head back over my feet right. uh, was uh, crashing on a friend's couch and um, catching up on some rest uh, catch, catching <laughs> up on some rest catching up on on some bible reading and uh um but yeah so more or less just straight out of out of the military um and uh and that was wonderfully healing for me um being in the woods being with others and training that kind of thing exactly mm-hmm. um and you get to see how everybody experiences life differently you know like for a three-year-old you know, this might be the first time that they're ever away for their parents for more than an hour right and uh and you know they probably never even had to cross a creek before mm. and so you get to like show them this is how you cross a creek this is how you um whittle a stick this is how you make a fire um we wouldn't necessarily always be doing that with the three-year-olds but uh um but then and then as children get older and and they get into preteens and teens mm-hmm. and just the angst that they're going through um and being able to work with them and help them heal um i begin to notice that that i was also healing mm. um healing tends to be a community affair for sure. right it's Ex- like it's something exactly. that we do together exactly yeah. you know like uh uh, the New Testament tells us, confess your sins to one another and be healed. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, so I think being able to work out that trauma on, uh, on a different level, seeing other people's hurts and, and helping them work through their hurts um, is, is healing, you know? Right. Um, and, uh, uh, and so during this time, I was also starting to farm a little bit again. Um, I didn't have my own place. Uh, so I wasn't farming at my place, but I was helping friends get vegetable gardens going and, um, working with some of their livestock, um, mostly sheep, a little bit of dairy cows and horses again. Um, and, uh, and so this dream of having a homestead was reignited within me. Um, it's kind of pulling you back to your childhood memories. It's exactly. Like I had, you, you loved it growing up. So exactly. Now I want to get back into that. Exactly. Um, and, uh, uh, and so I think it was maybe three years after I had gotten back, um, I ended up meeting my wife, um, Ellie. And although I didn't get to vet school, um, she was actually in the process of finishing her last semester at vet school. Wow. Um, so she fulfilled that dream. <laughs> right. So so I got to live vicariously through her for, for a bit while she was practicing. Wow. Um, yeah. And so... Uh, um, and so from there, we ended up going, uh, she got a job in Arizona, um, working at a low cost, uh, clinic that was serving mostly like an underprivileged, uh, population. And so, so we moved out to Arizona for two years, um, and started homesteading in the middle of the desert, uh, which is just interjecting there. So just for our listeners that are maybe considering the Harpin farm program. So Ellie, Jeremiah's wife is also going to be a part of this. A graduate of Cornell University, as you said, one of the top vet schools in the nation, in the world, in the world, really. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. that's uh, pretty amazing. So uh, yes, yeah, she'll she'll also be a part of that, teaching about animals and animal health and all that. So yeah, yeah. Um, and and she loves anatomy. So if you guys come and you have any questions about anatomy, she will be ready to uh, to open up any any animals that we have for uh, for butcher to eat. 
which on, on a practical note is helpful in understanding how sheep, goats, cows, how they process pasture. Right? Uh, absolutely. And so this, this is a helpful thing to know if you're a farmer, okay, you can look at the animal and see, okay, are they getting enough grass, you know, uh, based on their stomach and the rumen and all these different things. So this, this is where practically where the anatomy can be helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, even with like parasite loads, for instance, understanding the, um, how the parasites are affecting certain anatomical points on the animal can lead you to diagnose, okay, well, it's going to be this parasite instead of this one. And, right. And then you'll have a better plan for treatment. Mm. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, you're in Arizona. So we're in Arizona yeah. and, and we're, we're homesteading, trying to homestead in the desert. Um, and when I say desert, I'm, I'm talking three inches of rain a year. I mean, we were, we were in the Mojave, uh, <laughs> what a place to homestead. <laughs> exactly. Our, our well was 700 feet deep and we got, uh, about two to four gallons a minute wow. of water. Um, so, and, and in my try, my, my thinking, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I've grown tons of food before. Like all I need to do is like put the, put the, um, drip lines out water for like 20, 30 minutes in the morning. And then I should be good. And within, <laughs> within a week, I lost my tens of thousands of seedlings that, oh, that I had started from, you know, from like January. Um, and so learn, learn quite a bit about, um, desert farming and, um, but, uh, but God was calling us closer to family. Um, mm. and so, uh, during the pandemic, we decided, you know, just in case anything goes sideways, we, we want to be closer to family. Um, things in New York aren't looking so great. My family is transitioning out of New York and, uh, Ellie had grown up in Columbia, Missouri. Um, and so her grandmother was getting a little too old to take care of herself in the house, um, that Ellie's family had started. Like they, they came, uh, in, uh, at the end of the civil war actually. And under Mm -hmm. the homestead law started homesteading in Fredericktown, which is just a little North of here in Peterson, Patterson rather. And, uh, and so we ended up landing there, um, renting from her grandmother and, uh, uh, coming back to homesteading. We saw a flyer for a uh, Joel Salatin conference out in the middle of Patterson, Missouri, which we had never even heard of with this group, Love and Purity, which we had never even heard of, you know, and just what, 45 minutes away, 45 minutes away. (laughs) Uh, And so I had to work, but, um, but Ellie was able to come and, uh, and through that, we started coming to the fellowship here on Shabbat and um, moved down here probably two and a half months after that. Wow, you were sold right from the. I mean, <laughs> we were ready. We were ready. I. Uh, uh, it was funny when we were actually driving back after the first Shabbat. I was like, "Babe, it's going to be a long horse ride to <laughs> get to some community when things go wrong." So yeah, we're glad you guys found us. Uh, just to interject too. Uh, so Joel Salatin is is pretty much a household name in the homestead agricultural, you know, regenerative agricultural movement, and so he's got some great stuff. We're going to probably be. Uh, introducing and teaching some of his methods on homesteading, how to use the land, chickens, all this stuff in the program as well. And so, yeah, so I, we did, I just randomly, had, you know, I thought it was put out a few flyers here and there, but Ellie was just happy to see it in the rural king uh, there in, in Farmington and I came out and that's how, that's how we got to know Jeremiah and Ellie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and speaking of Joel, I think that's a great, 
great segue to get into talking about um, the Bible and farming. Right. You know, um, so here I'll just, I'll read a passage. Um, here I'm looking at uh, Genesis chapter two. And so um, uh, the Lord has just completed his creation and we get down into um, verse eight and it says, Adonai, God, planted a garden towards the east in Eden and there he put the person whom he had formed. Wait a second. Who was the first bar- farmer? It was God. Right. God is the one who planted the garden, mm. right? And so uh um and so to me that that speaks of it's it's our duty to continue what God has started, right? Being created in his his image. This is like he's modeling. This is this is part of what I do. Precisely. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and, you know, speaking of, of being created, um, so in uh, Genesis 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, you know? And so the, the very first thing that the Bible tells us about God is that he's a creator. Mm. Um, and when I say the Bible, that's what God is telling us about himself, right? Right. And, uh, and then the, uh, and so, um, so he goes through, he creates the heavens and the earth, then he plants a garden. Um, and so in our minds, we think of, oh, well, you know, it's it's up to us to go out and we, we've got to subdue the earth and, and rule over it. And he does give us charge to do that. Um, uh, but the but the stewardship and the caretaking aspect of it is extremely important. Um, and like not to be all mother earth, woo woo, right? right? Because I'm not at all. Right. Um, but but the earth is the very resource that that sustains our life. Right. Um, I think what you're getting at is that some people have taken that subdue the earth, and it's like not in a nurturing way. Precisely. And, and there's been a, especially in American agriculture, there's been a lot of abuse of the earth. And so like a lot of these fields that are being farmed today are totally lifeless because oh, yeah. of the way they've been farmed. Yeah. I, I mean, it's incredible. They're They're pretty much inert. There's no life. There are no worms. There are no beetles there's no ants even right you know they're just they're just these hard packed um tracks of of dirt it's not even soil it's it's dirt you know and they they drill in their seeds and then they fly planes over them with fertilizer and pesticides and half of these seeds won't even germinate unless they're sprayed with pesticides wow um and so uh so it's been a, a huge detriment um, with the, the boon of modern agriculture and, and, um, you know, all of that actually came out of a, a wartime background. Right. And so you have these, uh, huge munitions factories that had all of this extra phosphorus and nitrogen that they were using to drop bombs in Europe, uh, after the end of world war one. And they're like, Oh, well, what can we do with all of this? Uh, not planning on another war anytime soon. We're not planning on another war, you know, although that happened another <laughs> 10, 10 years later, but, uh, uh, 20 years later, I guess. But, um, but so then they just started selling it to the farmers. So, so they began this idea of like, Oh, well, we need to get, you know, get this off of our hands and it's uber toxic. We don't want to pay the federal government to have to go and dump it. So instead, we'll just have farmers buy it from us and spread it out all over, all over America. Literally, <laughs> it's a tragedy. Um, 
and and that style of farming has has gone over the entire world now yeah um although i do understand europe is a little more cautious your europe <laughs> is oh for sure um especially with the the gmo the genetically modified organisms right um and so um but as far as like uh pesticide use and, and fertilizer it's still yeah um uh still widespread there um and it's amazing like i've done work in in southeast asia and papua new guinea and india and places where you think of like oh bastions of health like these people are are eating really healthy and everything um but again like they have been sold on the idea of pesticides and it's it's so hard to find organic uh, nutritious food even in these places you consider to be like they're native or oh, they're yeah. jungles or whatever they're still putting chemical fertilizers on yeah that's yeah. crazy um so a lot of my missionary friends in papua new guinea will actually soak their vegetables in a vinegar water solution for um a couple hours before they'll wow. uh, eat them mm. um and it's and it's a tragedy you know yeah. like um uh like we're supposed to be taking care like subdue it yeah. but but stored it Right. Um, and feed the thing that is feeding us. Right. right? Um, and instead we were like biting the hand that's feeding us really. Uh -huh. Um, and, it, and it's amazing that now there has been a big move back towards regenerative agriculture. Uh -huh. Um, and so just to like throw some names out there, you've got, um, Joel Salatin, as we had mentioned before, um, Ray Archuleta, who used to work for the USDA um, and the uh, NRCS, and he he now is an independent consulting for um, soil health, um, and he's partnered with Gabe Brown, who used to be a, a conventional farmer in the Dakotas, and um, and now he also travels around teaching about soil health. Um, you've got uh, Greg Judy and, and Jim Garish, who are um, big cattlemen, uh, and they're very much away from the stockyard model and right. grass only. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and so we're seeing like slowly this revolution taking place. And, and what's amazing about some of these guys is it's actually more profitable for them too. Much more profitable. <laughs> the animals do better. They're healthier. Oh, it's, absolutely. It's like, this is amazing. <laughs> absolutely. Well, because modern farming has turned into machinery farming, right. you know, you, you've got these, massive tractors that are 30 40 feet wide and um and they're all on gps and and it, the the level of control is right. is crazy you know you think about farmers as being very independent minded people um but they've essentially sold their entire lives to the control of of these larger companies right. um down to the point where now uh every ounce of seed that they're harvesting is tracked oh, wow. um and so uh i i mean it's it's absolutely incredible you know um and kind of like how you know during the end times the the mark of the beast is going to be sold to us as this thing of like safety and right. and well you're not going to be able to do anything without it you know and this has this has been sold to farmers for decades now. Oh well, how are you going to be able to grow your seed if you don't fertilize the soil? And uh, and oh well, now get these GPS uh, trackers, and so then you can see exactly where in your field was you got the best yield and the worst yield, and then right. you can pour more fertilizers into that area. Uh -huh. and, um, uh, and but at the same time, really, it's like for commodity pricing. So like all of these. Um, 
this uh, GPS and weight data goes directly to the seed companies who then will automatically go on to commodities trading. Um, and so these guys doing the commodities trading are making Uber, you know, hundreds of dollars on returns by able to input these, uh, input these data real time. Whereas the farmers year after year are broke. Right. Um, you know, and they, uh, and they're living in debt and they're living off of debt. Right. And, uh, and if they make money, then it's almost like, well, but now the government's not going to be paying us the subsidies. And so, so we actually don't want to make that money. Right. Um, but I think for people starting out in farming, like, like that's not the model to, to follow. Like the model to follow is to, to be able to make money, to, to be blessed, to have that wealth right. that, that God wants us to have. I have this vivid memory. I was about 12 years old and uh, we put fertilizer on our garden. It's a chemical fertilizer. And I remember all the earthworms, I'm not sure why, but they all just piled up in this one big mass and just like, just died right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just this memory. I was like, man, <laughs> that, this doesn't seem right. You know? <laughs> so, wow. The, the earthworms are, are so good for the end, but they, but this chemical modern way of farming is so anti building the soil health and all this. Exactly. And so. I mean, anti building human health. Um, and so like, for instance, uh, like even wheat, right? Everybody is like, Oh, I'm gluten intolerant. Um, well maybe you, you might be, you might have celiac or you might actually have some kind of gluten intolerance, but most likely it's because these huge wheat fields are sprayed with glyphosate, right? Roundup the day before they're harvested, mm. they spray them. Everything dies at the exact same time. They go out, they harvest them. The bags of wheat are immediately ground and then it's sold to, you know, these bread companies and Kellogg to make your cereal and, wow. um, and so bodies weren't meant to digest that stuff. No, no, they weren't. <laughs> wow. Wow. So good to have you on Jeremiah. Looking forward to, I think we'll do a follow-up, uh, uh, podcast of this one, just talking more about this connection between God's heart for the, his creation and, and even this idea of, you know, God created the garden, as Jeremiah mentioned, he, you know, planted the garden, he puts man in it, that he walks with God in the garden. Precisely. There's this, there's this whole picture of, where we are partnering with God in stewarding his creation. And there's a relationship aspect in that too. Exactly. And so I think it's a beautiful picture and we want to continue to unpack that in a, in the next podcast. So thanks so much, Jeremiah, for being on. This is the voice of my beloved podcast where we believe that learn hearing and following the voice of the bridegroom King leads to the most abundant and joy filled life. <laughs>